divine, all love's excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down. Fixed in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure unbounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation, enter every trembling heart. Breathe, O oh, breathe thy loving spirit into every troubled breast. Let us all in thee inherit. Let us find the promised rest. Take away our bed to sinning. Alpha and Omega be in the faith as it's beginning. Set our hearts at liberty. Come, Almighty, to deliver. Let us all thy grace receive. Suddenly return and never, never more thy.
Christmas Eve will find me where the love light gleams. I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. Those words are familiar to a lot of us. Ace Collins said this about that song in his book, Stories Behind the Best Love Songs of Christmas. Millions of those who once embraced this song, who reverently listened to each word and note, and hung on every sentimental thought woven into the lyrics, are now gone. Age has taken a mighty toll on the men and women who first clung to I'll Be Home for Christmas as not just a song, but also a prayer. For young and old, during the darkest days of World War II, for sons and daughters, for fathers and mothers, grandmothers and grandfathers, aunts and uncles, I'll Be Home for Christmas represented their hopes, their dreams and prayers better than any song, movie, or story. When it was released, it quickly became the most powerful song on the hit parade. One of the true wonders of this song is that it sounds more like a letter home than a typical Christmas carol. It's as if the singer is a homesick marine, soldier, or sailor, assuring those who missed him that he would soon be there with them again. And throughout World War II and Korea and Vietnam, the song symbolized and captured the emotions of those on the battlefronts as well as the emotions of those back home praying for their safe return. You know, for many people, Christmas and home, they just go together. And in a real sense, home has always been a part of Christmas, way back even to the very first Christmas. And this morning we're beginning a series of messages that we're calling simply Home for Christmas. And in the coming weeks, beginning today and throughout our Christmas season together, we're going to visit some of the homes that were involved in some of those, uh, or that very first Christmas so long ago. And my prayer as we study together is that these messages will impact your home as well. You know, many of us long for the perfect Christmas. We want everything right, you know. The house is decorated just so, and every bulb on the tree is actually working. The stockings are all hanging straight. The food is delicious and doesn't make us gain much weight. And, and everybody gets along. There's no fussing. There's no fighting. There's no arguing. Everybody gets what they want for Christmas. And everything's just so. In other words, we want a magazine-worthy Christmas. We want something out of the pages of a magazine. But as one pointed out as I was preparing for today, we want a Norman Rockwell Christmas 
but instead we often get the national lampoons. <laughs> and things don't go as planned. And things are not perfect. And the family doesn't always get along. And all the bulbs don't work. And the Christmas cookies get burned. And things just don't go as we want them to. And so if you're living more on the National Lampoons rather than the Norman Rockwell, I've got good news for you today. The first Christmas wasn't perfect either. Now, don't misunderstand me. The perfect Savior was born at the perfect time and the perfect place to a virgin named Mary, but the circumstances were far from what you and I would consider perfect or even helpful. In fact, it got quite messy when you really think about it. And I think you'll understand more as we make our first visit this Christmas season, and we're stopping by Mary's home today. And so you have your copy of the New Testament. If you'll turn to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to make a visit to Mary's home. And we'll read verses 26 through 38 of the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, as you think about home for Christmas. Familiar words we're about to read. Those of us that were brought up in church, these bring back such fond memories of hearing them year in and year out, marking the passing of time in a real sense in our lives. Luke 1, beginning at verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and consider what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, I'm afraid the familiarity of those words uh, can make us miss out on some of the extraordinary details that we find in that passage. See, this story doesn't begin here in the Gospel of Luke or even in the Gospel of Matthew. It actually goes way back to Genesis. Uh, after Adam and Eve, they failed and they sinned and they ate of the forbidden fruit and they plunged all of us into sin and, and we're dealing with that even to this day, the Lord said to the serpent some words that talk about a virgin giving birth to a Savior. In fact, Genesis 3.15 says it this way, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. An unusual way of saying that. We don't have to talk about the woman's seed. It's talking about the virgin. He shall bruise your head. That is the Savior, the Lord Jesus. 
and you shall bruise his heel, of course, pointing to the cross of Calvary. But, you know, in reality, the story actually goes back further than even Genesis and the Garden of Eden. In fact, it goes back even before the creation of the world. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been uh, written in the book of the Lamb of Life, slain from the foundation of the world. The Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This was the plan all along. God knew before He created the world, created us, we were going to sin, we were going to fail, and He was going to send forth the Savior, the Lamb, slain before the foundation of the world. And so the Bible is all about the redemption story. It's the story of Jesus. We find it there in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, even from creation itself, and then we go all the way through to the ultimate um, at the end when He is ruling and reigning on the throne of David. And so what takes place here in the Gospels, what takes place as we study the Christmas story, is really an unfolding of the plan, an unfolding of the story that has been around even before the earth itself. We find it unfolding. In fact, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that's so far before what we read here. But then we come to the time where God is going to enact the plan and it's time for that virgin to carry forth the Messiah. And God sends His angel Gabriel on a mission unlike any other to a place called Nazareth to a virgin girl named Mary. Now, as we spend time at Mary's home today, I want to talk a little bit about her world, Mary's world. To be quite honest, Mary was a nobody from nowhere, a nobody from nowhere. She was a poor, humble, teenaged girl. She lived in Nazareth. And if you wonder what people thought about Nazareth, well, you can go ask Nathaniel. In John chapter 1, verse 46, here's what Nathaniel said. Can anything good come out of Nazareth. <laughs> That's what they thought about it. Uh, a nobody from nowhere. Now, I don't know about you, but it excites me to see that God chose a nobody from nowhere to carry out such an assignment. I like what Daniel Darling wrote. He said, the thread of redemption woven throughout the Scripture winds its way through a lot of small towns and seemingly little lives. I love the fact that God chose this girl named Mary. Now, no doubt Mary was looking forward to her life together with Joseph. She was betrothed or engaged to Joseph, and her future life would hopefully be one filled with love and laughter and joy and home life and children. You know what it's like if you're married, looking forward to those days with your spouse. In all probability, she would live and love and die in relative obscurity. We would never have even heard her name or known anything about her were it not for the grace of God. And so God sends His angel with a message that will forever change Mary's world and our world too. And I want to spend the remainder of our time today talking about Mary's response. Mary's response to the message that Gabriel gives to her. Now, in case you're wondering, was she a real person like us? I think you're going to see, as we look through at this together, she was indeed a lady 
a human just like us. And her response was, was one that we can relate to. In fact, the first response she showed here was, are you ready for this? Fear. Her first response was fear. And who could blame her? Look back in the passage. You're still in Luke 1. Look at verse 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Verse 30. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. Don't be afraid. You found favor with God. When she started out her day, I, I, I don't think she had on her list that day meet with a powerful angel on her schedule. No doubt she was probably going to be just going through her day like every other day, going about her usual things. But then she has this meeting and Gabriel comes in. And you notice that Gabriel tells her to rejoice. And he calls her highly favored. He tells her that the Lord is with you. He tells her, now remember, she's a poor, humble teenage girl here. He says, you are blessed among women. And he goes on to reassure her by reminding her again that God has highly favored her. She didn't deserve this privilege. She didn't earn it. It wasn't hers by right, but by grace. It's the grace of God in her life. And God shows her. And as awesome as the message is so far, She's hearing that you're highly favored and the Lord's with you and you're going to be blessed. It gets even better. Look at verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And here's what he says about Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the son of the highest. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. In other words, Mary, you're not only going to bring forth a son, you're going to bring forth a king. You're going to give birth to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, the long-awaited one. And so her response then moves from maybe fear to simply confusion. Confusion. Verse 34. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? Confusion. Now, let me let you know something. Mary was not sinless. She was not sinless. She was not perfect. Now, she was a virgin. And she knew she was a virgin. She had never known a man in a sexual way. And the only way to bring forth a son, was to know a man in a sexual way. says, I've never done that. I'm a virgin. I'm pure. So how in the world can this be? Now, this was not sinful doubt she was expressing. Just confusion. Just a normal response. Just as anyone would. And of course, he tells her in verses 35 through 37, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and bring about this birth. And indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, is in the sixth month of her pregnancy. And I love verse 37. With God, nothing will be impossible. Now remember, Mary is a poor, humble teenage girl. She's a nobody from nowhere. And she's just been told that she's going to give birth To the Son of God, the Messiah, the long-awaited one 
The one who's going to rule upon the throne of David forever. Now, I want you to put yourself in Mary's sandals for a moment. We have a way of looking at this thing and we, we think about the characters. Maybe just in the nativity scene, it's all nice and neat and pretty. But listen, there she is. She's a poor, humble teenage girl and she's engaged to be married to her love of her life, Joseph. And she's going to start her life out. And, and now this. And she moves from fear to confusion. But then I love the next response she has. And it's the response of submission. Verse 38 is an incredible verse. And if you're not careful, you'll read right on past it quickly. But let's slow down and read it again. Then Mary said, now remember everything that's happened. Then Mary said, Behold, the maid servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I find this absolutely incredible. I'm afraid I would have a list of questions a mile long. Uh, before I talk about submission, let's talk about the details. What about this and this and this and this and this and this and this? But I don't find that here in the passage. She says yes. To whatever God has for life. Behold the maidservant, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Whatever you say, whatever you want, God, that's what I want in my life. Chris Tigering put it so well. When God speaks, everything else is a minor detail. When God speaks, everything else is a minor detail. That's the attitude we need if we're to have what we want when it comes to God doing miraculous things in our lives. He says our miracles won't come in clean packages. They may be really messy, even scandalous. They might stretch people's faith and imagination to the point of resistance. But when God speaks, the reactions of others are irrelevant. Though His words may seem absurd, that is no indication that they aren't His. When He speaks, when God speaks, the only reasonable response is faith. See, there's so much wrapped up in Mary's yes. Let it be to me according to your word. There's so much. It, it included her reputation. It included her future. It included her very life. And we're going to talk about this in greater detail in a future message in this series. But remember, she's engaged to be married. She's a virgin. They're not together yet. And what's happening is going to change everything. What would her parents say? Just think about that for a moment. Your teenage daughter comes to you and says, Listen, Mom and Dad, I'm pregnant, but I've never known a man. An angel visited me. And it's the Son of God in my womb. What would the neighbors say? The teenage girl there in the small village. Have you heard about Mary? What would Joseph say? Honey, I've got something to tell you. You may not like the sounds of it at first. I'm pregnant. 
Remember, I said I'd, I'd have a list a mile long of questions, but not Mary. Peter Mead said the questions must have swirled, but the posture of her soul was beautiful. I am God's servant, so I trust him. I am God's servant, so I trust him. Behold, the maid servant of the Lord, be it unto me as you have said. And that's the lesson we all need to understand. In the complexities of life, the problems of life, when God is working in our life and it doesn't quite make sense and others are not going to understand and others are going to have questions and they're going to talk because I'm following God's will. We've got to have the same attitude Mary had. Submission. She said yes. She entrusted her life, her reputation, her future into the hands of Almighty God. Did she know all the details? No, she didn't. Did she know how it was all going to work? No. But she said yes anyway. She stepped out in faith. And this reminds us, now you need to get this lesson down. It reminds me of this. It's okay if you don't have it all figured out. God is in control of your life. It's okay if you don't know all the details. You don't have all the answers. You don't know how it's all going to work out in the end. And all these things. You just follow God and trust Him. Just trust Him. It was the church father Augustine who said, Mary first conceived Christ in her heart by faith before she conceived in the womb. Mary said yes to the Lord. Have you? Have you said yes to the Lord? First of all, in giving Him your life. In coming to faith and salvation. Of recognizing you're a sinner, you're lost, you're undone, you're hopeless, you're doomed. But you realize that Christ died for you and loves you. Shed His precious blood. He was buried and rose again for you, victorious. Have you said yes to Him? As He calls you, as the Holy Spirit deals with your heart, and you know you need to trust Him, you know you need to leave your sin and come to Christ, have you said yes to Him in faith today? If not, why not today? Why not receive the greatest gift, the gift of eternal life through Christ and Christ alone? Have you said yes to Him? But then you say, well, preacher, I've done that. Well, let me ask you this then. You've said yes to salvation. Have you said yes to His will for your life? You say, well, I don't know where that would lead. Well, He does. Can I just tell you it's the best path you'll ever take in your life? You say, well, I don't know all the details. He does. It's okay if you don't know. It's okay if you don't have all the answers. And as you'll see as we study this, following Him sometimes gets messy. And it gets hard. But, but God knows what He's doing and He's leading along perfect paths and a perfect will and a perfect plan for your life. Maybe you just need to stop and say yes. Lord, I don't know what it is you have for me, but I say yes. I don't know where you're taking me, but I say yes. I don't know all the details, but I say yes because I know that I can trust you because you love me and you have the very perfect plan for my life. And I say yes. You know, like a soldier listening to I'll Be Home for Christmas on a radio far from their home, we as believers are not home yet. We're dreaming of it. We're longing for it. One day we'll be there. Because ultimately heaven is our home. But on the way to heaven, God has work for us to do. Now for Mary, it meant giving birth to the Messiah. 
And not only giving birth to Messiah, but helping to bring up the Messiah. And you and I know from reading the Scriptures, there's a lot entailed in that. There's going to be a lot of joy. And there's going to be a lot of sorrow. But you know, our assignment is not the same as Mary's, but God has an assignment for you. And God has an assignment for me. And it comes down to this. Have you said yes to the assignment? There might be fear. There might be confusion. But ultimately, we've got to move through the fear and the confusion to get to the point where Mary did. And that is submission. Be it unto me according to your word. Can I just leave you with this thought today? Because I know it's Christmas time. And I know things are hectic. And I know things get crazy. It's okay if you don't have it all figured out. It's okay if it all is not perfect in your mind. It's okay because God is in control of your life. Trust and follow Him. Lift your heart to Him and just say today, Lord, whatever it is, wherever it is, whoever it is, The answer is yes. 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 Father, thank you for Mary. Thank you for her faithfulness to you and her faith in you. And she hears one of the most blessed and yet challenging Statements come from the mouths of Gabriel. We stand in awe today to see her faith as she simply says, let it be unto me according to your word. I say yes. And Father, I pray today if somebody's here and your Holy Spirit is working in their life, that they'll say yes to you. For some, it's salvation. They've never received Christ as Lord and Savior. May they say yes today. And then for others, they know you. They're your child. But you're leading them, working in their life. And maybe today they need to come and simply say, whatever, wherever, whenever, whoever, the answer, Lord, is yes. I trust you. May your will be accomplished in my life. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have it all figured out. It doesn't all have to go perfectly. It's enough that you know. It's enough that you're in charge. It's enough that we belong to you. So we trust you today and pray that you continue to work in our lives. Work at this invitation for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn and our hymn of invitation. The altar is open. It's 217. You need to come and pray. You need to be saved today. We'd love to help you with that. If you want to come and just pray about a matter, the altar is open. You can come and pray. If you'd like us to pray with you, let us know. Or you can come and pray on your own. But as we stand and sing 217, you do as God leads you. But remember, the right response to the Lord is always yes, yes. Yes.
217, let's stand and sing.